You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let me give you another cross-reference. In the book of 1 Peter, in chapter 3, in verse 7, Husbands, likewise dwell with them, that it would be your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and this weaker vessel, don't misunderstand, in strength. Well, there have been many times in the history of the church and out that women have been relegated to second-class status under men that's not approved by any of the teachings of Jesus or any portion of Scripture. This way of thinking assumes that having different roles and characteristics means you're unequal. In today's message, as Pastor Mike examines the creation of Eve, we'll be reminded that in Christ, all of us are equal and called to bring glory to God with the roles and gifts He's given us. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 2 as he continues his message, She Shall Be Called Woman. Some would respond and say, hey, pastor, that's prejudicial. That is an exercise in inequality. These notions must be cast aside. They're outdated. They're Victorian. Well, in response to that, okay, let's talk about equality for a moment. Here's the question. Are men and women equal? And what does God think about that question? That issue, well, let me suggest a couple of things. First of all, in God's eyes, both were created in the image of God. Isn't that true? Both were placed under the moral command of God and thus given moral responsibility. They were both responsible for their actions. Both were guilty, and we'll get to this later on in one of our future studies as we continue to move on through this series in the book of Genesis in their fall and the first sin, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we'll save that for another message in in the very near future. But both were guilty of disobeying God's command and were therefore judged for their disobedience. And both are like objects of God's grace in Christ. So as far as God is concerned about whether or not a man and a woman are equal as far as God is concerned. Let me give you a couple of cross-references. 
For example, in the book of Galatians in chapter 3, in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let me give you another cross-reference. In the book of 1 Peter, in chapter 3, in verse 7, husbands likewise dwell with them, that it would be your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and this weaker vessel, don't misunderstand, in strength. There, I believe that that's the reference to uh, there. And as being heirs together, notice, of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. But I want to emphasize being heirs together of the grace of life. And so beyond these items, equality is nearly irrelevant. You say, what do I mean? Well, think about this. In the Bible, the husband and wife is introduced as a deliberate, I believe at least, parallel to the Trinity of God. Consider the Trinity just for a moment. What are we talking about? Three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that make up the Godhead. They are the same in substance. Now think of that within the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife, okay? There's the same in substance. They're equal in power and glory. That is the Trinity. Yet the members of the Godhead deliberately and willingly submitting themselves to each other in the grand work of redemption. The Son submits to the Father, the Spirit to both the Father and the Son. And I believe that that very much parallels the marriage relationship. Let me give you a couple of cross-references for this. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, in verse 3, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Ephesians chapter 5, in verses 22 through 25. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Listen, let me, let me also say, and I don't have this in my notes. If the husband is not loving his wife as Christ loved the church, that is giving himself sacrificially in that relationship, putting the woman, his wife, before himself and his own needs, the woman is not under any obligation to obey him. So, okay, I just wanted to mention that. You know, if the woman is getting beat up in the marriage relationship, getting taken advantage of in the marriage relationship, he's making decisions based solely on his own interests, his own needs, blowing his wife off. Well, you're not under, as a woman, as a wife in that relationship, you're not under any obligation or responsibility to obey your husband, particularly if he's encouraging you to disobey God's laws or God's will, okay? So I wanted to be very clear about that. So anyway, and also in those verses of Scripture that I've just mentioned as cross-references, make no mistake about this, we're talking about marriage here. 
Our text doesn't imply or suggest that women are to exist for every man, still less to be obedient to him. You're not under any obligation just because you're a woman to obey me, right? Or you're not subject to me. You're an equal to me. Remember that, okay? This is only within the confines of the marriage relationship here that we're talking about. Okay? Remember, we're trying to answer that question. Are men and women equal? Well, as far as God is concerned, they are. But if the man is her husband, she is to be his helpmate. Now, that's what God says. Okay? That's just the order of things. If you're fighting against that and struggling against that and are not given to that, you'll never experience a true union in the relationship of marriage. You know? What a wonderful thing it is to just, you know, you have a godly husband who's willing to sacrifice for you, right? God has brought you together in this union uh, known as marriage, and uh, he's loving you as Christ loved the church. He's given himself, every, every decision that he makes is based upon what's good for you, what's good for the kids. What a wonderful thing it is for a woman, you know, to have that kind of a headship over her to just submit. I don't have to mess with all of them. Let him take care of it. And you can just rest in that. You know that he's got your back. You know that he's only concerned about your best interest for yourself and for your kids. What a blessing that is. What a comfort. What peace. Why wouldn't you submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, you see? Right? It's just a wonderful blessing. It's a part of that Union, as God has ordained it for us. So if the man is her husband, she is to be his helpmate. You know, get behind him and do everything that you possibly can do to help him to be successful as the husband, as the leader of the family. And if she can't be his helpmate, well, guess what? You know, if that's a problem that you have, you know, with the submission thing, if that's just who you are, it's not a part of your personality, your upbringing or whatever, your temperament. Hey, guess what? Don't get married because you're going to have problems. If that's who you are, hey, listen, if that's who you are, that's who you are. But don't get married if you're not willing to submit to your husband. Because submission is a voluntary kind of a thing. And it's just a part of having a successful marriage relationship. Now, also, let's go back to our text. Not only is the woman made for man, but she is made from him. Because notice in verses 21 and 22, And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Now, as you read on here in verse uh, 23, Obviously, Adam immediately recognized what had just happened. Because in verse 23 we read, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So immediately, notice, Adam perceives her as his companion, his other half. How that he is now one with her. That oneness, you see, that's the kind of a relationship that God wants us to experience within marriage. Now, that brings us to our second and our final point, and that is man is to be united with his wife, body, 
soul, and spirit. That's the oneness that I'm referring to. And all of these three different categories, let me say it again, they are to be one in body, in soul, and in spirit. Now, let me break this down for you. First of all, let's take them in that order. First of all, body. Now, when I'm referring to the body, yes, I'm talking about the sexual union that they are to experience within the confines of the marriage relationship, not outside of it, but within the confines of the marriage relationship, which is such an important aspect of marriage, that the marriage might be consummated. But let me also say, I mean, God has created us in this way. The truth of the matter is we're, we're sexual beings. God has created us. Our desire is to be towards our wives, and our wives' desire is to be towards their husbands. There's nothing dirty about it or filthy about it, you know? And those things are to be realized, those needs are to be met and fulfilled within the marriage relationship. It's a good thing. It's, in fact, a holy thing. The wedding uh, bed is undefiled, the Bible tells us, you know? Remember, God brought these two individuals together for their benefit, for their blessing even as God has given us all things for our blessing and for our benefit. So the body, the sexual union. But also let me balance this out by saying it can't be solely based upon this aspect alone. You know, it, because you know what? Uh, things change dramatically. You know, you get older and uh, the physical attraction diminishes after a while. You know, when you get up, not that I'm not suggesting, I don't know when that might happen, but uh, I got to tell you something, I'm still, I'm, you know, pushing 70 now, and I'm still physically attracted to my wife, and I hope that she's still physically attracted to me, uh, losing a lot of my hair lately, but, uh, but you know what, the physical attraction diminishes, and also health fails us, and uh and that's the reason why you can't totally base the marriage relationship on a sexual relationship, you know. It's all about sex. It's all about sex. And, man, we live in a culture that's all about sex, right? And, and that therein is a huge problem, you know. With it. So it can't be solely based upon a sexual relationship because it, later on down the road, it may well sustain it for a while, but later on, there'll be nothing to sustain the marriage relationship when things change, okay? What happens when you're like, you know, 80 years old or whatever, and, uh, you know, you're not interested in, in sex anymore? You say, what? But who? Who? I? I don't know how many people that are here this morning are 80 years old. You can't, probably can't even relate to that example. But guess what? It does happen, you know? And so what's going to maintain your relationship after that? Are you going to become disinterested in one another because you're not having sex any longer? So, you know, it's important, but it's not all that, okay? And uh, now, but there's other aspects of this oneness that we're talking about that lends itself to a successful marriage, and that is the soul or the union of soul. Now, when I say that we are to be one in body, soul, and spirit, let's talk about the soul. Now, what am I referring to when I use that word soul? Well, this refers to the intellectual, emotional side of a person's nature that as couples share in conversation, the things that they enjoy, the things that they share with one another, common interests, or maybe not even common interests. 
You know, it's been amazing. My wife and I are so different. I mean, she comes from a Japanese culture, and I come from a rowdy, crazy Italian culture, being raised in New Jersey. I mean, my family was absolutely nuts, crazy. Her family is absolutely reserved, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, we are so different. It's amazing. But anyway, God has brought us together. And, uh, you know, first of all, you know, we were attracted initially by physical attraction, no doubt. Uh, she's still a looker. But, man, I'll tell you something. When, she would, when I first met her, I almost fell over. I mean, she was amazing. And uh, I said, I got to get to, I got to know this woman. And, uh, and so I made it my business to know her. And that's exactly what I did. But when, you know, and then after a while, and after we got married, after the, you know, the, the physical attraction was the first thing that, you know, brought us together. But then really after that, there wasn't an awful lot else that we had in common. You know, she liked, uh, the arts and I liked football, you know, kind of a thing, sports, you know, and she liked all kinds of different food. And the only kinds of food that I would eat, like when we would go out, was steak. That was it, man. Or Italian food. And that was it. And so she opened up this whole realm of, of new experiences to me and, and I to her as well. And in fact, she, she's become a real sports enthusiast uh, since we become husband and wife. In fact, she can tell you more about sports and statistics in sports than probably I can. She can tell you, like, who's quarterback in this team or what's going on and who's being traded and who's number one. And it's amazing. And, and uh, so that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the intellectual, emotional side of a person's nature. She's opened up a whole new world to me. And it's been a blessing, a real encouragement. And uh, things that I would have never been interested in before. So the things that couples share with one another, share conversation, the things that they enjoy with one another. So that's the second component, body, soul. But then thirdly, what are we talking about? Spirit. Spirit to spirit. Now, let me suggest that what that means is that the, more than anything else is that the husband and wife must be Christians. The husband and wife must be Christians, because we're talking about sharing the things of the Spirit, which would be what? The Word, prayer, the blessings of God, the testimonies that we're able to share with our spouses. Listen, gang, make sure your partner becomes a Christian before your wedding. You hear what I just said? Make sure that your partner becomes a Christian before your wedding. And if they do not, then don't get married. You're opening yourself up for a lot of trouble and heartache and pain. And that's exactly why in 2 Corinthians in chapter 6 in verse 14, we are instructed and exhorted by Paul to not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Don't be like Solomon. Let me use him as an example who began to marry these foreign women, one of whom was the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt. It was not God's will, because this woman, as well as many of the other, how many, women, how many wives did he have? How many had? How many had? Four, 700. Could you imagine having 700 guys? I mean, it's all to do to satisfy one woman, you know, provide for her. 
700, and then how many concubines? 400? It was crazy. 300. Man. Wow. Man. He was a wild man, yes. None of which were worshipers of Jehovah. And so in 2 Chronicles in chapter 8 and verse 11, I'm, I'm just gonna, we're going to close out with this. In 2 Chronicles in chapter 8 and verse 11, Now Solomon brought the daughter of Pharaoh up from the city of David, Jerusalem, to the house he had built for her. We're talking about the temple. For he said, now remember, she's a Gentile. Uh, for he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. Basically, what he is saying here is, I recognize this woman does not fit into the things I know to be true of God. And whenever I bring her around the palace temple, I feel guilty. And my conscience bothers me. So if you read on there, you'll discover the solution that he had come to was to build her another house and hereafter live his life in a nearly separate compartment as was possible. Hey, don't live your life like that. Remember what the marriage relationship is all about. It's about oneness. You know, think about the ramifications of marrying an unbeliever. You know, if for nothing else, you know, how do you resolve the question about how your children are going to be raised? Are you going to raise them within the church? Are you going to instill within them a godly heritage? Are they to know Christ? Is your spouse going to prohibit you from introducing them to Christ? These are some of the, th I mean, these are, these are pretty significant questions that need to be addressed. So let me go back to what I've already said. Don't marry a non-Christian. Don't marry, make sure that that's not a husband or a wife for you, no matter what. And get out of that mindset of thinking, you know, oh, but Pastor Mike, you don't understand, he's so cute. Or she's so cute, and I'll marry him, and then I know that I'll win him to Christ. And you know what? By the grace of God, that may happen. It may happen. But then also, it may not happen. So don't take any chances. Make sure, as I've already suggested, that your partner becomes a Christian before your wedding. Because once again, you'll only experience, as was true of Solomon, years of uh, separation, years of heartache. Uh, it, you might experience marriage on the body and soul plane, right? But you'll never experience body, you'll never experience it body, soul, and spirit. And thus, you'll fall short of experiencing a true union of marriage. And so, she shall be called woman. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my You've been listening to Pastor Mike Fenizio here on In My Father's House. He is working his way through the book of Genesis. If you were blessed by today's message and want to pass along the blessing, you can find a link to give to the ministry on our website, harvestnyc.org. We have so much available to you there, 
including many audio messages and links to streamed messages. We stream every Sunday and Thursday service. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. Another way to pass along the blessing is to share the messages with someone else. Maybe God put someone on your heart today as you listened. You can send them the links as well. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. We're easy to find, with access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. But if you're from another part of the country or world, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. There is nothing more beautiful than the global body of Christ. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast for Daily Doses of the Word. Just go to Spotify and search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. And then just click follow. Well, we have filled our time for today. Come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than In My Father's House with you.